welcome to the Pioneer Valley Church of Christ podcast. Here we will have a collection of sermons, conversations, and other inspirational material to help you grow in your walk with God. We hope you enjoy. All right, good morning, church. Uh, Before I get started, I just want to thank uh, Don Smith for inspiring me to dress up for this uh, communion occasion. You know, he dressed up well last week, and so I wanted to follow his lead or at least uh, attempt to. Um, So uh, as the kids say it, shout out to Don. I'm David Bonomi, and I made uh, Jesus my Lord 48 years, well, actually months ago. (laughs) Uh, Jesus is my Lord about 83% of the time, and the other 17% I'm governed by my own ego, my temper, or even the almighty dollar. I'm I'm striving to get to 85% by by quarter three, 2022. as you can see, I, th- I think very literal about things, and I, it was hard for me to consider a book, an imaginary friend, as the key to satisfaction in my life. If someone told me even 60 months ago that, that togetherness would, would help me get peace in my world, I would have laughed. Um, but something unexpected happened, and I've always wanted to say this. Let's turn to John chapter 4, verse 13. <laughs> uh, Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. <clears throat> you know, this concept was, was very disruptive for me, disrupting my way of, of doing everyday things. When I say disruptive, I want you to think about it, or I invite you to think about it the way Wall Street or the Silicon Valley thinks about it. Innovative way of doing things. Disruptive technology examples that change the game, you know, again, as the kids say it, um, you know, Netflix changed how we watch movies. Uber changed how we get from point A to point B. You know, older examples are Xerox or the internet or even the automobile versus the horse and buggy. For me, going from hate, judgment, and pain to love, empathy, and multiplied love was equivalent to indoor plumbing versus taking a bath in the river. Just so very different for me. Um, (laughs) I got to look up, right? Okay. There you go. Experience and dis- experiencing disruptive in tech- disruption in technology or in my own mind can be hard at first, but once you get the hang of it, you can't imagine looking back. Imagine having to go to a store versus shopping online. You know, why would you do that, kids? Um, you know, similar to me accepting, similar to me accepting the world views versus what I learned daily with my disrupted view of the earth and the people. When I think communion, I think disruption. Jesus disrupted everyone from the peasants to the royal. 
in, in Matthew 5, Jesus gives data that is equivalent to me or you learning about the iPhone, Airbnb, electric cars, and dating apps all on the same day. Our minds would have exploded. Jesus was so disruptive that they strung him up on a cross and nailed his hands to wood and killed him. Not pressure-treated wood, but likely splintered old wood. Just want to say that again. You know, Jesus was so disruptive that they, they strung him up on a cross and nailed his hands to wood and killed him. Jesus disrupted people then, today, and will continue to disrupt no matter what. I take comfort in that. <clears throat> Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for disrupting our negative, nasty, bitter, jealous attitudes. You are the Alpha and the Omega. <laughs> you are my forever disruption. You changed water to wine and hate to love. I beg you to continue to disrupt all of us in this room with fresh ideas, concepts that change for the better of how we view things. Please disrupt all the loved ones of those in this room who have not learned of the real you yet. Help them learn about forgiveness, grace, and empathy while they use a robot to vacuum their floor. Jesus, you are our beanbag chair, our gluten-free pizza that tastes good, our ability to watch a new release on a handheld device with wireless earbuds and air conditioning while enjoying a calorie-free mandarin orange and strawberry seltzer water. Your disruptive innovation is forever welcome here. Amen. Good morning, church. Let's turn our Bibles to Psalm chapter 95. Dave, great job with communion. I was uh, leaning over to my daughter. I'm like, Dave's brutally honest. He's going to just tell us what he's feeling. Um, and uh, I'm so grateful for it. There is uh, something special about that. Um, How would we do this week? How would we do? Some of you are like wondering what I'm talking about. The challenge. The challenge of not being in a hurry. Right lane the whole time. The right, yeah, how is it for you, Ed? No, he does not like the slow lane. So, you know, I thought it'd be an easy week for me. I thought it'd be an easy week for me thinking, hey, listen, not a problem. And then I ended up having to travel to Boston. And I'm like, oh, no, no. This is supposed to be simple. But the whole idea, the whole concept was last week we talked about how our hearts are often missing worship because we're in a hurry. We're looking to the next thing, and we forget and miss what we're a part of right now. And some of us are doing that right now. Some of us are thinking, what's going to happen for lunch? How long is this guy going to go? And we're thinking all sorts of stuff, all right? And, this, and what you need to be thinking, and what I want to guide you to think, is what does God need me to hear right now? Where is God leading me right now? That's where he wants you to be. Because as we are there, as we progress to that space, what we're reminded of is who he is and what he's done for us in all of this. And it's that moment. It's in that space. We're able to fall to our knees. We're able to lift up our arms. We're able to cry out in a way that is special and unique. 
I'm excited about this whole, uh, this whole study of worship we've been doing. Next week, I've actually invited a dance instructor. He's a brother in Boston, Carl Eileen. Him, he and his wife are going to come out, and he teaches hip-hop dance. He teaches spiritual dance. And so we're going to clear out a couple of these rows here, and he's going to teach us how to dance for God. And why do I tell you this? I tell you this because you need to be ready. You need to be ready to come in. And, and I, wanna, I, want us, I want us to be prepared. I want us to be prepared to come in and, and not just move our bodies, but be able to resonate with God, be able to hit that frequency in such a way where it is a natural part of our expression of worship. That's what I'm looking for. That's where I want us to go. Some of us, again, like I've said, this is the best we got. This is the best we got. All right? If that's the best you got, then that's all you got. Do it. Do it. Others of us, and I won't go there because I'm not one of you, are able to move things in a rhythm that's just, wow. You do you. You do that. But what I'm looking for next week specifically is as we think about all the words that we have been studying in praising God, that we, that we think about that dancing for Jesus, that David rejoicing when the ark is coming home from the, from the book of Samuel, that idea that our bodies respond. Amen? So today, I want to talk about an idea that, uh, that I, I'm excited about, um, and it's called Sailors of Worship. Sailors of worship, Psalm chapter 95. My, as you're turning there, my, my sister-in-law is uh, Lisa's younger sister, not her twin, but her younger sister, is a professional sailor. She used to, she used to work in the finance industry, and then, and then she started boating. Then she just caught this, caught this bug, and, and she, started to, she started to sail. And then she gave up her, that job and started to become a, a captain of boats. And she's been everywhere, everywhere. She tells us the stories, and I'm like, wow. Uh, that's, that's remarkable, the places and spaces you go to. And, and she, she once took us out on a boat. And, and that's the extent of my understanding of sailing. But she shared with me. And I want to I reflect on that little voyage back in 2017 and, and uh, get some lessons from it. Amen? Psalm chapter 95. We're going to read the whole thing. This is going to be... Uh, the scripture we, we base our teaching off of this morning. The Bible says in verse 1, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. So right there, what's the, what's the Bible say? It, it, worship has this composition, this piece to it. Singing. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. So he goes from singing to shouting. Let us shout out loud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him. Let us enter that room. Let us bow our heads. Let us lift our hearts before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Now, I want you to notice the adjectives that are in front of music and song. There are none. It doesn't say great music and great song. And because some of us excuse ourselves. 
and go, I'm not, that's not my thing. God didn't give me the the gift of voice. It's okay. That's not not what it's about. God needs you to sing. It, It comes out that expression. There was this brother when I was a young Christian. He would sing right, and he had one note, just one note. And he would sing every song in that. And I'm like, oh, wow. But, and he would never, and he knew what he was doing, and he knew who he was. He did not care. He's like, this is my time with my God, and I will sing my one note. And he sang it loudly and proudly. And listen, what's the Bible say? It says, for, as a result of, for the Lord is, great, is, is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pastor, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. What's the purpose of worship? What happens in this time? Is it just, is it just a thing we do on Sundays? It's a moment to hear his voice. It is a moment to stop and go, God is saying something to me. It may be in the song, it may be, it may be the welcome, it may be the communion, it may be the fellowship, but he's singing something. He's speaking. And when we're active in listening, wow, the things that can happen, the things that can happen. Uh, it says, do not harden your hearts at you, as you did in Meribah, as you did that day in Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose heart goes astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath, on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And so it ends, the psalm ends with a warning, with a warning of what happens when, when we don't, when we fall short. So I'm going to go back to sailors of worship. So we are sailors of worship. What does a sailor do? Um, and, and, and my sister-in-law, I'm going to call her Cindy. Cindy is a captain of, a, and her favorite is a, a sailing boat. She loves the high staff sailing boats. And, and this is what she does. She cannot create any power on the boat. She cannot. She does not create any power on the boat itself. But you know what she's mastered? Capturing the power when it comes. She, and, and you should see her. She's, she sits there and she's on, the, you know, she's on the little thing that, what's the thing called? I don't know what the, the helm, the helm, the, great, thank you. The helm, we'll call it the helm. She's sitting there at the wheel, you know, turning things around. And, and all of a sudden she'll stop. And she'll run and she'll, she'll turn some rope and some, some, uh, some uh, mast will go up or will go down. What she's learned is to look at the water and know when the wind is coming and know when to capture the wind. She just knows how to do it. And I believe for us, in order to be sailors of worship, we need to grasp the, the simple truth. We do not have any power to make this vessel move on our own. 
our bodies, our minds, our spirits, we do not carry that power. Yet, when we come together, when we listen to his voice, he is the engine that drives us forward. He propels us forward. So in order to know how to master the wind, you have to know what it is. And, and so she taught me, I go, how do you know all this? She goes, well, you have to look at the surface of the water and the surface of, and she went on and on and I kind of just started daydreaming at that point. <laughs> I figured she's alive and doing well here. I'm gonna just trust her to get me back home because uh, this, this was just too complicated for me. But she knew what to look for. She knew how to, how to engage. And for us as sailors of worship, we need to be able to enter a room we need to be able to enter our times with God and know what to look for. First, I think we need to know what the wind is. We need to know what worship is, right? I want to give you a definition. This is a definition that has been shared in the past. It's a definition that comes from a, a, a lesson in 2013 that Timothy Keller did. And I just, I just found it such a great definition. I wanted to share it with us. It is, worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in a way that energizes and engages the whole person. So I'm going to repeat that, and I would ask that you write this down because that's not going to be, it's not easy to remember. Worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in a way that energizes and engages your whole person. So the, the truth of the matter is we are worship machines. We were made for worship. Did you know that? All of us were made for worship. Now, the object of our worship, that's a different story. That's a different story. Some will, will and we'll talk about this in the second point. The first point being, you know, what worship is. It, reading the wind. Being able to ascribe ultimate value to God in our lives to a place, to a point where we are compelled to act and move and, and do something. That's what worship is. Let, let's go back to Psalm 95. It says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout out loud to the rock of our salvation. So these are actions. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and songs. So these are all behaviors that we, we, we do every Sunday. But listen to, the, listen to this, this word. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. What is the author doing? He is, he's saying, I do all these things. Why? Because I cognitively, I intentionally, I with my mind acknowledge that my God is greater than the NFL. That my God is greater than my job. That my God is greater than my my personal insecurities that drive me. That God, that those are still there, but I am, I'm ascribing, I'm giving ultimate value to God. And, and when we're able to do that, when we're able to do that, there's this shift. This singing becomes easier. Shouting becomes easier. Coming before the Lord and extolling him with thanksgiving becomes natural. Do you see what he's doing? He's, he's giving ultimate value in our lives, in our lives. This is 
what is, uh, is, this is what takes us from just a simple behavior, a simple action, to an entrance into the Lord's throne room, is giving that particular value. So what are some of the things that happen when we ascribe ultimate value? It's, if you want an, uh, an example of it, watch a football game. Watch a football game with a devoted fan, with a committed fan. Um, and it, is, it can be kind of scary. Uh, they, they sit there, and, 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 and they're, like, when I watch it, I'm pinned to the game. I'm not looking for conversation. I don't want small talk. I'm actually curious as to why you're trying to talk to me <laughs> as I'm watching this. And then when something good happens, and this happens, and, and I, don't in, I don't plan it out. I don't intend to do it. I jump up naturally, arms in the air, yelling and whooping like, like Jesus has returned. All because a certain little pigskin ball has passed a certain point on this random field. And what's funny, and this is what's hilarious about it, in two days I won't remember. In two days I will not necessarily remember that moment. I may, I may reinforce it with highlights. I may listen to sports radio. I may just reinforce my idol with all of that. But if I let it go, I will not remember. And that's what's, what's amazing. I give it such value in the moment, but it, it has such little impact long term. We give value to these things because we are worship machines. We're made to worship. We're going to worship something. But when you worship the wrong thing, there is no lasting change. There is no transformation that occurs. So what does it mean to ascribe? It means to give value to. And so how's, how, what does that look like? What does that feel like? Ascribing something, giving value to something, can change the entire way you see something. So I think I've shared this before uh, with, with the congregation. Some of you may remember. But there was a coin I had, and it was a normal coin, or so I thought. And I, I it sat around in my house for a long time. And, and I, I went, and um, I wanted to get see how much this coin was going to be valued. It was a nickel. And, and I come back, and I find out that this coin has great value. And, and what struck me was how I lived my life a particular way that wasn't indicative of what I, what I possessed, what I had. I, I, you get things assessed. You get things valued. And you find out how, how important they really are. And you are, are moved by it. Back in 1988, um, I, was, uh, I, was, I was at a friend's house. And they had a 1964 and a half Mustang convertible. Uh, and, and it's one of my favorite cars, and it's, uh, it's a great car. And he comes up to me, he goes, Saj, would you like to buy it? And I, I wish, I wish I had. Because he was, he was selling it to me for like, I think, 9500 at the time, which was a lot for, for a junior in high school. But I went and checked the value of that car now. My life would be different. With that thing sitting, because it, it, it just shot up in value. It would sit in my garage, but be worth more than my house. 
I, had, I, had I been able to do that. But, but it had value, and that value changed. It increased. And when it increases, it changes the way you act around it, walk around it, live with it. When we give God higher value than our, our wants, our want for this or our, our want for that, when we give it higher value than, than our jobs or our possessions, true change begins to occur. In order to capture the power of the wind, in order to capture the power of worship in your life, you need to ascribe ultimate value to God. That's my first point. Amen? So my second point, watch out for the other boats. So we were in, uh, we were in that lake right next, to, uh, 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 ne right next to Chicago, and it was really crowded. Lots of boats all over the place. So I'm a little paranoid. I'm sitting there, and I'm looking in the horizon, and I see this boat coming at us. And I'm like, you know, I'm just wanting to be helpful. I go, hey, uh, uh, Cindy, boat at 12 o'clock, thinking it was boat lingo. <laughs> and she goes, I got it. I go, well, just in case you don't, boat right there. And then boat started getting bigger and bigger. I go, Cindy, it's still at 12 o'clock, but closer now. And she's like, I got it, Saj. I got it. And we started getting closer and closer. It was like we were, we were playing this game of who's going to move before, before the other. And I'm like, I'm like Cindy, I don't want to play chicken. I want to move because this boat will enter our lives and, and ruin it. Um, and she goes, Saj, I got this. I got this. And, and she was able to. She was able to move to the side, and it was great how she did it. I don't know necessarily how she did, but she was able to move. And what I didn't know was that there were other boats that she couldn't respond to because she couldn't respond to the one in front of us because there were other boats that were uh, also on her radar that, that she had to avoid and work around. And so she knew what she was doing. She had her orders. She had her priorities in order. But the challenge for me was that I only saw one thing. And I obsessed on the one thing. And I didn't see the full picture. For us as Christians in worship, what, we, what, we, what can begin to happen is we obsess over the one thing. We, we, we obsess over, over a person. We obsess over a system. We obsess over, it, it could be all sorts of things. We obsess over, and we're not even sure, we, we're not even, we don't even know we're doing it. But it captures the power. It removes the strength of the wind that is supposed to be in our sails. And, and so what does the Bible call this? The Bible calls this idolatry. And we see the people, they had, they had gotten to a place where they had been, were committing idolatry and just how angry God got it with that. Now, one thing to understand about God, God will never ask you to do something that is not good for you. He doesn't necessarily need anything from you. But he knows that when you attribute ultimate value to him, you operate at an optimal level. You are your best when you are able to do that. He knows that. When you don't do that, when you have idols in your life, what begins to happen is that Satan is able to come in and steal your heart and, and eventually corrupt your life. And he doesn't want that for you. And so what we see 
what we see in Psalm 95 is this attitude of worship and this warning against the things that would get in the way. And what I would ask for the church to do this morning is ask yourself, what has stepped in? What has gotten between you and God? What is what is perhaps taken a, 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 a hold value greater than God in your life? Life happens fast, and because we are worship machines, we will attribute worship almost randomly all over the place. What has what has it, what has happened to you? For me, for me, it can be my children. It can be my, my, my family because they, they, they capture so my heart emotionally. Now, it's not that they shouldn't. They really should. Those are good things. Those are gifts. But they can't be the ultimate value is really, really important. Okay. So we get to this space. We get to this place where we need to watch out for other boats. We need to, we've captured the wind. We're moving right along. We need to watch out for other boats. Each of us has a system that is drawn to a particular type of boat. So you've, you've noticed this, right? You've noticed this. Somebody, somebody's in a relationship and they break up. What ends up happening with them? What ends up? They fall apart. It's as if the world has ended for them. Somebody else is in a, in a relationship. They break up and their, their, their world doesn't fall apart. But they have financial troubles and they can't see beyond tomorrow. They're in despair. They're broken apart. We each have these, these, these little places and spaces that hold and capture our heart where we want to naturally hold, have our idols at. Where is yours? What would yours be? How much does it control you right now? How do you know when an idol is in your life? You know an idol is in your life when it's taken away and you are super angry or super defensive. That anger, that anger is a, a telltale. It is not the telltale, but it is a telltale of an idol in your life. Watch for it. Protect yourself from it. Make sure that the boats that are coming at you don't, don't break apart at your, at your bow, that they don't sink you, because that's what they're looking to do. Satan sends them your way. He desires your heart and will, will do what he can to capture it. Amen? Amen. My third point, my third point is one of the things that I learned from her is that uh, the sailors are kind of a community. She'll talk to them on the radio, and they're like buds. They've never met, but because they're sailors, they're buddies. It's a lot like it's it's a lot like any of us who are in a particular you know discipline. If we're golfing, you find out someone else golfs. You're like best buds all of a sudden, or, or you're you're into sewing or knitting. All of a sudden, you're connecting at those levels. It's it, there's this commonality, the, and what I've, I what was really fun watching her do is talk to the other captains. The, her and the other captains had this rapport, this connection, this just understanding of all of their environment that was different than everybody else. It was fun to watch. And if you look at Psalm 95, if you look at Psalm 95, you'll notice it's not singular in its, in its language. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout out loud to the rock of our salvation. Do you see what he's saying? 
That, that worship is intended, very much intended, to be communal. This is an important message for us today because I, I believe, I believe the last couple of years have, have worked very intentionally to separate us from one another. And, and there's, a, there's the, to a certain degree, a necessity to what took place, I think. And, and so we can, we can have our opinions of whether it should or should not. It's irrelevant right now. What's relevant is that it did, and, and, and appropriately for that time. But now, coming back together, you know what I've discovered? There's some people who really like the isolation. They really like the, the lack of drama that relationships bring to them, right? I mean, uh, hey, listen, who in here is like, you know, it was kind of nice not having to, have to having to deal with this or that all the time. It was kind of nice. Some of us are a little more carnal. We want our Sunday mornings. We, want, we, we liked our Sunday mornings. We liked the fact that it was recorded and we could watch it at 1 instead of at 10. That it was, there was a schedule that, that followed our dictates. And, and those, those things became very important to us. Our comfort became very important to us. Our, our social isolation became very important to us to the point where this scripture took a step backward. And in your life, it started to reflect more, come, let me sing to the, to the Lord for, with joy. Let me shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. And, and we, see, we understand that is not at all what the scriptures are saying. And, and so for me, as, a, as, 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 your, as your minister, as your elder, I'm calling all of us, all of us, to what the Bible is calling us to, communal worship. Now, some of us say, well, I get together with people during the week. I, I feel like that eventually becomes an excuse. That gets to a place where you get to keep the comfort. You know, you, you get to have your cake and eat it too. That's what it can feel like. Now, I can't make anyone do anything, and I'm not actually going to really work very hard to do so. I think we're all grown-ups. But we all said we're going to listen to this book. And there is something special about Sunday worship. It has been throughout the history of the church. And so when it says this, I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to participate in this. I'm going to, I'm going to make this happen. And, and I would ask us to do the same. So what happens when we're in communal worship together? I think a certain amount of magic comes. I think a certain amount of transformation internally. Because we all come in with our idols uh, challenging us. And a simple conversation with a brother, perhaps who doesn't have that idol, a sister who doesn't carry that with her, is able to call us back and reframe our hearts, our minds, center us again. Maybe it's the song. Maybe it's listening to Charles or Dave or Ed up here singing. Maybe it's whatever it might be. I'm not sure. But... Uh, what I do know is that the Bible calls us to this space. And I'm calling us as a church to this space. To this space. Now, I, will, I do want to make sure I say this. For those of us who have legitimate medical reasons, amen. 
Amen. I want, we're, we're doing it online for that, for that exact purpose. But if you're also going to work out, or if you're, if you're going on vacation, and you're exposing yourself at every level except church, you need to think about that. We need to think about that. So let's, let's just evaluate our own hearts. Your walk is yours. I'm going to let you. Um, but I do want you to see the Bible, the Bible it, it, it encourages us together. It encourages community in a very special way. Amen? The sailors, they're a community. They, they have their own talk. They have their own walk. They have their own way of thinking. Disciples who worship, when we worshipers of God, we have our own community. And, and there are things that resonate with our hearts that is so, so very special. Amen? Amen. 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 So I want to end with, uh, with uh, a final scripture. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, we, we, read, we read something. Um, we, so God calls us to ascribe ultimate value to, to him. Uh, that's, that's what worship does. Jesus ascribed ultimate value to the Father in heaven. That's, that's what he did. And the Father, the Father said that he wanted something done, that he wanted a, a task accomplished. Listen to, listen to the heart that is being uh, expressed here in Hebrews chapter 12. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, and this is, listen to what it says about him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, who or what is that joy? So, yeah, but it is, and some of you have heard me say this. I want to keep saying it because this is so, so very valuable. Was the joy... Uh, was the joy the cross itself? Obviously not. Was the joy heaven? No, because he could, could be there at any time he wants. Was the joy his relationship with the Father? That was always there. What was, what was it that he didn't have? It was you and I. It was you and I. It was us. He ascribed this great value to you and I, saying you are so important. I will endure the scorn of the cross. I will endure the pain of the cross. How is it that we're able to ascribe ultimate value to, to Jesus? How is it that we can do that? Because he has already done it for us. He has taken us and he's like, I know you're a mess. I know all, the, I know all those attitudes. I know all those odd things that you do. And I think you're awesome. And I don't just think that you're awesome, like, hey, good job, buddy. I will rescue you with my very life. I will be tortured. I will be rejected. I will be scorned. And I will be ultimately separated from the Father so that you don't have to. 
when we capture that, when we get that as a reality in our lives, when we understand the joy that we are, worship becomes natural. We become men and women who naturally leap for joy, naturally jump for joy. Next week, we're going to learn how to do that physically. Let's be ready. But I would ask that every single day, this be part of our lives. So worship, what's the definition? Ascribing ultimate value to Jesus. Giving him the ultimate value. Number two, watch out for the other boats, guys. Watch out for the idols that would, that would, that would seek to sink your ship. And number three, communal. Worship was, it, we as a community do this together. And when we do, wow, God is able to do great things. Thank you very much. This has been an episode of the Pioneer Valley Church of Christ podcast. To learn more about us, visit our website at www.pioneervalleycoc.org. Thank you.